everyone, and welcome to the Friday, March 19th installment of the Silicon Insider, the only uncensored look at life and business in the Valley. My name is Mike Malone, and you know all the rest. And I'm here with my contributor, special contributor, the legendary Scott Budman, business tech reporter for NBC Bay Area. And uh, once again, we're at our respective homes via Zoom. Our producer is Jordan Henderson. Our East Coast correspondent is Bob Grove. And our host for this podcast, as always, is the Silicon Valley Business Journal. So, Scott, let's go. All right. uh, the, market, the market's been interesting this week. The Dow set new highs. It kind of fell back uh, last night on futures and today, I believe. But tech stocks, NASDAQ got hammered. Uh, yeah, that's the big story. That's the big story. And, you know, the easy way is to say, hey, they just got so high and so expensive. People are just finally taking some money. And that makes sense. We're still at uncertain times. But the overarching theory that everyone is talking about is we might see inflation. And that would be something that, I mean, unless you're over, I don't know, 20, 25 years old, you've never seen inflation. You've never seen before. You don't want to. You don't want to. Right. <laughs> It's true. And it's been such a long time. And yet the tech stocks would be hit the hardest by that because these are companies and, and look at some of these valuations. I mean, Airbnb is still losing money by the billions, but they have extremely successful public offering and their stock has gone up since. So there is this frothiness to the market and there is this, hey, we don't want to miss out on any of this. But if there is inflation, are the valuations for these companies that are losing so much money? I mean, could they possibly stay this high? Well, I mean, you may be right. I mean, the, the two great bellwether stocks of tech, Apple and Tesla right now, mm -hmm. were the ones that were hammered most by all of this. And yet they're two different companies when it comes to how stable, both yeah. profitable, you know, give them their credit. But Apple has been profitable for years and years and years and years. Tesla more recently profitable and still, you know, there is this feeling that they're pushing the envelope, um, partly because of their... Uh, you know, eccentric CEO, but uh, Apple is a blue chip. Tesla's trying to get there and has a huge valuation. I think it's number six in the entire country as far as value now. Right. Um, but uh, but imagine if inflation kicks in and then people get scared and stop buying those cars. How does that company stay? You know, yeah, yeah, luxury items. Well, it's weird. Inflation is a very strange thing. It's very unpredictable. Sometimes you go into luxury items because they're just, they hold value while money drops. It's a tough one. Now, they're also saying be careful right now because there actually may be another COVID lockdown in, in France. And moreover, oil, oil prices are all over the map, too. They apparently are starting to slump again. Well, you know, oil was interesting. Oil prices and gas prices fell at the beginning of the pandemic because people stayed home and they didn't go anywhere. Travel, though, is starting to come back which given what you just said, Europe is starting to see some spikes, even in the United States. What are we, 20, 25% vaccinated? We're, we're not anywhere near, say, Israel, or more important, we're just not anywhere near herd immunity. Even West Virginia, frankly. Yeah, <laughs> and so you know, to say, hey, travel is coming back and we're starting to see the TSA figures and people are traveling now. Um, so yeah, that raises the price of oil, but more importantly, it raises the specter of is it time to start traveling? Is it, is it too early? Or is it just the people who have those two shots? You know, people 65 and older saying, hey, I've waited this long. Now I can go travel, safely see the grandkids, whatever it is. Um, but that's the worry is that so many of us who are not vaccinated are jumping on planes or, you know, hopping into restaurants and bars and stuff like that. 
Well, we used to we used to record this in my living room, and you saw that giant pile of stuff that's been sitting there for a year, getting ready to, to take off for my vacation house in Oregon. You know, it, it's time. It's, uh, <laughs> so, yeah. Also, I think everybody's watching Treasury yields. They've been going up, and boy, that's a that's a warning about inflation. So we'll see. I think we have our story for the spring. <laughs> Uh, real estate. Real estate is weird because mortgage rates, that's another indicator of inflation. Mortgage rates are going up now fast. And yet home sales are also way up, including yeah. in the Valley. Yeah, home sales are up, but I still think that's because uh, inventory has stayed low throughout the pandemic. And the big question is, what happens to Bay Area real estate when things open up again? And A, more people are willing to put their homes on the market and say, come on and walk through. And B, more people are saying, hey, we can walk through. I'll meet you. I'll shake your hand. I'll, I'll get to know a real estate agent. And perhaps uh, there's a lot of money on the sidelines from people who were thinking this whole year, we've been saving, we want a home, but we're not ready to do it yet. So do they jump in? Or because there's going to be more inventory, do prices finally dip? Because there has been no indication we're going to see an, uh, a slow in the number of sales and therefore the, the price of homes once things come back. Uh, rents, on the other hand, they've been dropping pretty steadily. At the end of this, do people come back to San Francisco to rent or do they stay home because they can and they can still stay yeah. employed that way? That's another big well, question. I have to say, you know, having toured a bunch of houses in the last couple of months with, with my sister looking for a house, uh, it's not that egregious. I mean, you got the hand wash and you got to put the booties on and the gloves and all that, wear the masks. I think the real challenge is if you buy a house, you've got to move. I, I mean, that's a complex process during a lockdown, you know. So we'll see. I think I think it's going to be very telling. I think we're going to see in the next three or four weeks which way this economy is going because there's a recession theoretically sitting out there too, and we don't have a lot of reserves to fight a recession. I mean, interest rates have been squeezed out pretty low. The government doesn't have any money. If you print more money, uh, a lot more money, like we just did with the, uh, the uh, stimulus, you bring back inflation even worse. So, I mean, we're really we're going into a dangerous period on the economy. Uh, I was gonna say, we're, we're, we're likely trying to spend our way out of this uh, with the stimulus money and does that uh, a, bring back small businesses to hire more people and therefore bring back jobs. And does it encourage people to uh, invest their money, whether in stocks or, you know, fund fungible tokens or, you know, more importantly, in, in restaurants, in nights out, in clothes, in cars. Um, and I think that's the hope of the government is to sort of spend right. our way out of this. Uh, but really, it starts with jobs. We need to get people back to work. Uh, okay, enough of this economy stuff. Let's, let's <laughs> talk about tech. Uh, Google. Google's still running fast. They're, they're, you know, rocking along. They're still building. They're still hiring. They've pledged a billion dollars for California projects. Uh, that's great. I'd like yeah, to billion dollars, a billion dollars for California alone, seven billion for the country for new uh, infrastructure, for new projects, for new buildings, for new server farms, for new employees. It's kind of like, I mean, seven billion dollars. That's like a stimulus plan in itself coming just from Google. And granted, that's not gonna necessarily revive the small businesses, but if more people get out there and have jobs, 
Um, that was really what was hurting and killing a lot of local restaurants were the fact that the techies weren't, you know, using them and, and going to cafes and going to the sandwich shops. Um, maybe this will, will help that. But yeah, Google is still firing on all cylinders. And it's like a lot of these big tech companies that actually grew during the pandemic recession. Yeah, no, and I think they're doing the right thing. I, sh I think it should be the model for other large companies around here. I mean, Google has really been the beneficiary in a weird way of the lockdown and of being in Silicon Valley. Yes. And the fact they're paying back, that's a good sign. Um, tech on trial in DC uh, next week, right? We have uh, the CEOs of Google, Twitter, and Facebook, you know, the same old murderer's row, tinker severs a chance. And they're gonna be questions about misinformation on their sites that may have contributed to the storming of the Capitol. Yeah, watch this one because, and we've talked about how the antitrust cases tend to be, um, you know, they're not all that closely watched by a whole lot of the public. They're hard to understand what really is a monopoly, what really is antitrust. But everybody knows what went on on January 6th. And a whole lot of people know that um, a lot of those people were brought together and, and essentially told what to do on social media. So this could be a much more sexy kind of Q&A uh, because it's really gonna get at the core of um, is misinformation so pervasive on these sites and easy to spread that it actually led directly to the chaos and terror and murder at the Capitol? Uh, and, and can that be laid at the feet of these social media companies that's going to be a big, I think, very- Congress is going to love this because they always need a synecdoche of, you know, a point of contact, an image, a symbol to represent some important thing in their minds. And they haven't had it with social media for a long, long time, though. They've, they've tried, made fools out of themselves a lot, you know, during these hearings. But this one, they got something concrete. They yeah, can this will be interesting to watch. Yeah, and... Um, uh, Meanwhile, Airbnb is now cracking down on hate, hate groups. How do yeah. they designate hate groups? I mean, they, does, does everybody just go to the Southern Poverty Law Center and say, what do you guys think? And then they base it on that, even though they've been attacked a lot in the last couple of years. Yeah, yeah. Airbnb says that's one of their partners, uh, the SPLC, but they have other ones that they work with to try to find people out. And they say they're not going to ban somebody until they have proof that you are in a hate group. And that proof comes back to essentially social media. Are you posting about, um, you know, the Proud Boys or something like that? If they see that you are on these sites and active, they will say, okay, you cannot rent. And Airbnb, the CEO is not going to be called in with the other guys. But yeah. I think they realize they have a responsibility here. And a lot of that is because of what happened on January 6th. People were able to say, okay, we've got our message via Facebook or Twitter or whatever, but we've got our, our residence, you know, we've got our place to stay through Airbnb. And Airbnb is very sensitive to that. Obviously, they don't want to be known um, as, you know, the place where neo-Nazis hang out and, and decide where to stay and, and, you know, can group together. So they're now trying to crack down. And it's going to be difficult for them, just like it is difficult for Twitter or Facebook or any of these sites to ban an account. How do you prove that that account is spreading hate until and unless they do it? But Airbnb says this is their big, uh, their big thing. You may remember during the, I think it was the inauguration, uh, Airbnb banned anyone from uh, using their site in DC, saying it's going to be easier that way. That way they know they won't be contributing to any, you know, 
insurrection or violence or anything like that. So it seems like they're taking this seriously. My question is just how effective can they be? Yeah, I mean, my question is always this as a reporter, if the guy's posing in front of a picture of Adolf Hitler, okay, what if he's posing in front of a picture of Stalin? Does he get banned too? I, 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 I want to so. know their criteria for what they consider to be improper behavior or lifestyle. I've heard the CEO, at least of Airbnb, say you've got to, you know, if they find that you're posting uh, on these hate-related sites, uh, they'll they'll track you. But it, until and unless you do, um, you know, they really don't have the evidence, and and so it, it does come down to social media so often. And you know, we've seen in the news almost daily somebody having to resign their job or getting canceled or whatever you call it because of tweets they had years ago, even. Um, and so, you know, you can't stress enough. Um, just stay away from controversy when yeah. it's in public forum. Yeah, the, as of this morning, the editor of Teen Vogue right. has resigned because of stuff she wrote when she was a teenager. Of course, right. she's not much more than a teenager now, but nevertheless, you know, if we're going to be, if we're going to be hoisted on the petard of our childhood writings and our, and our eighth grade behavior, I think a lot of us are doomed. Uh, right, but but let's say, especially if it's it's recent, um, and if this is the new way that employees can track you, and we, I don't know about you, I know people like firsthand who have lost jobs because of posts on Facebook or Twitter, and it seems that these are all recent enough because these sites are recent enough um, that if you know people are going to maybe scan this when you're you know in a job interview. Maybe go back yourself and just see, do I have anything potentially damaging that I'm putting out there in the public? Uh, and if so, maybe don't make that public anymore. Um, even if it was a indiscretion, if, if they catch you and find out that you're racist, well, you know what? You probably didn't deserve the job. Yeah. But in this case, that this was avoidable. And, and you know. But if you posted rap lyrics when you were 15, right. you know, and now you're, now you're in grad school looking for a job, you know, the boundaries have got to be placed somewhere. And I mean, I think we're a, still in the place where we're trying to figure crime, those out. You commit a felony when you're 15 years old. Your records get purged, right? When you reach adulthood. But Twitter's forever. Exactly. You know? Uh, you okay. Could not have put that better. <laughs> yes. Speaking, as long as we're on, on Zuckerberg, remember we were talking a few months ago about Zucker being so ticked off that uh, Apple was changing the rules and all of that. Did you see yesterday, uh, Zuckerberg came out, Mark came out and said, uh, no, we think Facebook will be in a good position when Apple begins enforcing Apple tracking transparency. Now, is that PR, sour grapes, or does he have something up his sleeve that we haven't figured out yet? Well, I think a lot of number one, a lot of it is PR. I mean, Zuckerberg even went on Clubhouse to say this, uh, and that's saying something because Clubhouse is a potential Facebook rival until Facebook spent billions of dollars to buy it out. Um, but possibly it's, it's, they're already working on whatever it is to, to try to continue to track people. I think, um, you know, I, I applaud Apple. Uh, I think they're getting perhaps more credit than they deserve for this new privacy thing. And the reason I say that is, it's so basic, you know, you should have to opt into being tracked by these apps or opt into letting them see your contacts. I mean, these are people that have not given 
any okay to be tracked, it shouldn't be up to you to say, oh yeah, you can see all my contacts. That shouldn't be up to you. It should be up to them as individuals. So good for Apple for doing something very basic. The fact that it affects Facebook's bottom line tells you a lot about what you need to know about Facebook and its bottom line. So yes, Mark Zuckerberg is gonna to try to spin this, but really this is just very basic stuff. If you're on Facebook, one thing to do, go in, check to see what apps are able to track you because you're on Facebook and get rid of them. That's step one in how to have some privacy on Facebook. And trust me, it works. I know this, the ads I get on Facebook show that Facebook doesn't know all that much about me. And that's a good feeling. You know, don't you feel like it's, it's becoming Canute trying to hold back the waves? I've just read an article last night. There is some company that's advertising the fact out there that they can now track every vehicle in the world besides, I think, Cuba and North Korea in real time. They can track your location anywhere on the planet in real time. Yes, we sort of gave up the ability to not be tracked every time we buy a smartphone. So right, right. it's a great argument. Now, right. What smartphone. are cars now, but smartphones, you know. I think there's, I think if Cuba, when Cuba finally opens up, there's gonna be a huge demand for 1955, you know, triple five Chevys because they have carburetors and no engine computer. So they're right. untrackable. Right, uh, and yeah. Another piece of glowing cultural news, Facebook is now working on Instagram for kids under 13. Does that make, does that warm your heart? They care so much about America's, America's children. Yeah, in the what could possibly go wrong category. We've had uh, instances of companies, you know, catering to young people and it never, never works. YouTube, that was a disaster. Yeah. Uh, and and I, I just wonder if, I mean, I hope Instagram- Well, so, so YouTube has just announced a, it's preparing a, TikTok uh, competitive product. Yeah. Well, look, I mean, they're all doing it. And TikTok. They don't give up, do they? No. They, you know, you stop them here, it's squirts, it's whack them all time. You know, they're going to get the kids. They just right. can't help it. It's too big of a source of revenue. I guess so. And I, I, I'm really surprised because this is a huge, low hanging target for government when it comes to privacy rights. And they never ever take advantage of that. I mean, I, you know, we're so into banning this senator or censoring this right-wing person. And I get it, the sites have a responsibility to cut down on domestic terror and stuff like that. But that always gets into, hey, it's an adult and they have a right to free speech. But kids have a right to privacy that supersedes adults, I think. And Indeed. they're still not protecting the young people. And it's such a, it seems like it's such a basic thing that they should be doing. And instead we have Instagram for kids now. Again, Think what about it. We're, we're, we've, we're already starting, we've just begun destroying the lives of teenage of people <laughs> for things they did as teenage teenagers. Now are we gonna destroy the life of adults that did something stupid when they were in kindergarten? Well, I don't know. I mean, I always think of, right, you know, Justin Timberlake, you know, or Britney Spears always cringing when you bring up the Mickey Mouse Club footage. And yeah. that sort of, of, of their generation, what we had, now it's going to be, hey, famous person, remember that TikTok? And, you know, who knows? Uh, yeah, remember that photo you took in your, that selfie you took in your nursery? How dare yeah. you? <laughs> the selfie you took in your nursery. Very good. <laughs> okay, uh, we got to talk about chips because we always got to talk about chips because chips are actually important. Uh, Samsung has sounded the alarm over a serious imbalance in the semiconductor industry. Uh, there's a big chip shortage that's dis disrupting car makers, and they're worrying that it's going to spread into other sectors. 
Now, this is a South Korean company. And the, the moment I read that, I thought, if there's a problem in the chip world right now, what happens if China becomes even more threatening? You know, I mean, if that the far side of the Pacific Rim, if China is China's acting awfully aggressive right now in these meetings with the Biden administration, you know, we could literally freeze the tech world for a while if there's a crisis over there. Yeah, well, this is, I think, one of the things that the Biden administration needs to do specifically under the banner of getting through the pandemic. Because why do we have a chip shortage, whether it's in America or in the Far East? It's because of the pandemic demand for uh, you know, hardware that uses the software that lets us run our Pelotons and our Zoom. And so chips are all of a sudden hot and in demand. And so you're right, that's kind of, it's become political now, as well as a, a tech story. And, you know, you look at the price, the stock prices of the LAM researches and the applied materials, that tells you one story in the NVIDIAs. But look also at, right, the geopolitical situation, because so much of this happens in countries that we are um, not 100% friendly with. And so if the Biden administration really, truly wants to take care of how do we smoothly get out of this pandemic, I think you're right. That's one of the areas they have to look into, because that shortage, yeah, it means you know, I'm curious how deep it is. It, does it does it begin to slow car production? I mean, yes, we know it does. Twenty years Jim ago, has already we, said oh, it. Oh, we can't get enough chips. Okay, we'll just put a carburetor back on the engine. Now it's yeah. like the it's car a is a chip. The car is basically the new enclosure for a whole bunch of chips. Right. So one GM and, and a lot of these companies are saying yes, it affects our car production to not have chips. Two in order to keep the, these trucks and big cars coming, they're going back to carburetor technology instead of the cleaner tech technology. So wait a minute, this chip shortage means we're putting dirtier cars back on the road and slowing the momentum that we've seen thanks to EVs and cleaner engines. That's horrible, <laughs> right? I mean, it's a big danger to the, the momentum we're seeing in, in clean tech, again, because of a chip shortage. So do you think they're having meetings at you know, Nissan and Toyota and General Motors sitting around going, do we bring some of this in-house? Do we start Do we start contracting silicon foundries ourselves instead of going through intermediaries? Do we start bringing in designers and, you know, and, and double E's to start producing proprietary chips just so we're not dependent upon the supply chain? I don't know, you know better than, than I do, but isn't that a really, really labor-intensive long-term thing to do? Well, well, you know, Silicon Foundry's out there. I mean, they're making most of the world's chips right now. You know, I think the problem, the real gating factor is you gotta build another fab. You gotta, you gotta expand the infrastructure of manufacturing of chips, the production of chips. And those factories are 20, $30 billion each. You right, know, I mean, Apple so, did it. Yeah, yeah, but I, yeah, Apple did it. But I, you know, richest company in the world, and they had a right. lot of years to do it in. And I mean, I don't. Point. You can't turn on the spigot. There's only so many faucets out there. So I mean, that, this is a this is a potential problem. Meanwhile, what do you think of the Russians announcing they're going to block Twitter for a month? Um, it doesn't behave itself. I mean, the claim is, oh, we want to move. We want to remove bad content you know, that encouraging suicide among children, stuff about drugs and child pornography. 
though I think a lot of people are thinking it's really to shut down the critics of Putin. You know, um, right, right, uh, and and I believe that, and I believe something Twitter is just going to have to deal with. Um, did I just lose? I'm looking at a uh, slide of somebody talking. Oh, that's interesting. I think I lost my. So you can still hear me. I can still hear you. Okay, good enough. Good enough. Well, I don't know who this guy is, but uh, <laughs> perhaps. Uh, so it says I'm talking, but I've lost the, the photo. Let me uh, try to get that back. He's wearing a tie. There we go. There you are. Um, anyway, uh, sorry about that. Had a, a bit of a glitch on Zoom. Um, I think that's a big risk to Twitter, and any site has got to be watching this. I mean, whether you're Snapchat oh, yeah. or YouTube or Facebook or Gab or you know TikTok, uh, an entire giant country saying hey, now we disagree with you, we're gonna shut you down. Yeah. Um, and that's a weird sort of just desserts kind of thing, like a country telling Twitter, we're gonna suspend you. Um, and and yeah, everybody's gotta be watching this with- Largest country in the world, what it spans 11 time zones, that's a sizable chunk of land. Yeah, yeah. and maybe that's the new, um, the new uh, sanction, right? We're not yeah. going to sanction your grain. We're going to sanction your social media companies. Uh, this is something to watch. It's very early yet, but I think everybody's probably watching it pretty closely. Speaking of something to watch, how's that for a segue? Uh, Amazon paying one billion bucks for Thursday night football. Yep. Hey, look, Amazon's got a lot of money. Um, yeah. Would argue that, uh, and and you know, full disclosure, I work for a network, uh, but. Um, and, and I'm many, many, many paychecks away, or pay grades away from knowing how much money we have to throw at this stuff. Um, but Amazon, we know, has a lot of money to throw at this stuff. And yeah. that could be, if it works, and we've sort of tried it a little bit with Twitter, a little bit with Facebook. Amazon says every weekend we're going to have football. Um, and does that mean it's on your Prime screen? Is that another reason to get Amazon Prime? Who knows? Maybe it'll be mobile. Um, but, you know, Amazon taking a step in this direction is something to watch because simply because it's Amazon, it's gigantic. Well, Amazon's business model has always been locate a major cache of information and own it, have, have complete access to it. And that's what they did, you know, uh, well, essentially with everything, the whole world, right. the entire production <laughs> of the world. But this is a product too, right? I mean, and it, delivering it to your house. I mean, it's, it's, it's not that much different from the from the van driving up every afternoon and throwing something on your porch. Right. No, right? I mean, I, I'm a football fan. It's, vir and it's I, virtualizing yeah. the experience, which is the way to make money, has been the way to make money for the last 40 years. You know, you start with a physical product, you then become software, and then you virtualize it. And if you can move up that path, you own the world. And they essentially own the world now. So, right. I mean, goodness, look what Netflix did with movies and now with TV shows and all this stuff. If Amazon gets into the game and they, they've had a hand in it with Prime in terms of, you know, original content and, you know, all that stuff. And uh, some of it is nominated for Oscars. You know, you look at some of the stuff on Prime, it's fantastic. And so can they do that with sports? I would not bet against them. <laughs> no, 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 no. Don't bet against Amazon. Uh, finally, uh, Green Gables, it's a 74 acre estate in Woodside, over 100 years old. I think it has seven buildings and all sorts of stuff. It is up for sale. It is the most expensive property, I believe, in the history of Silicon Valley. $135 million. 
that makes that makes uh, Larry Ellison's uh, Samurai Resort Island in Woodside, you know, cheap by comparison. <laughs> Who do you think is going to buy it? Make us. I, I have no yeah. idea. So uh, I think what happens is uh, one of the Wojcicki sisters buy it, and she becomes Anne of Green Gables. Ooh. <laughs> How's that? A little literature for you. I have no idea who buys that. Um, but, you know, what I can tell you have daughters that were teenagers. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, Anna Green Gables are lost on this house with two sons. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know. Uh, I think, um, uh, you know, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, is it going to be a tech, American tech billionaire or perhaps a, a Chinese or Russian billionaire? Um, who starts moving into Woodside? Because remember, Woodside was the domain of, you know, the Larry Elsons and the Gordon Moores. Um, and then the new money started coming right. in. So, uh, you Mark know. Mark yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, if you think about it, 100, 170, 135 bit million sounds like a ton of money. But if you were 30 <laughs> or $40 billion, that's actually like a monthly interest on your assets. So that's where we become, yes. Yes, here we are. <laughs> Uh, did you think twenty? Did you think the twenty first century was going to be like this? In any way, I mean, we all had a vision of what this, what it was going to be like by the end of the first quarter of the twenty first century. I don't think it's matched after after a year where imaginings have come true. We're in a whole different scenario in reality, right? You know, and you can get and you can have your life destroyed, your career destroyed for something you wrote when you were sixteen years old. We go. <laughs> Welcome to Modern America. All right. That's it for now, folks. You can find us on uh, the Silicon Valley Business Journal homepage, as always, as well as on Spotify, Anchor, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and YouTube. Have a great weekend. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye. See you, Scott. <laughs>